I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Shamrock, I'm Pete Sampson, safely back in my hotel in Dallas after Notre Dame's 31-14 loss to Alabama in the Rose Bowl, played in Arlington. Uh, he's Matt Fortuna in Chicago. Matt, you watched the game on TV. I was here live. I guess, what were your 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 immediate takeaways? Like, what struck you first about, uh, I guess, Friday afternoon, Friday evening for Notre Dame? I can't figure out if it was the closest blowout ever or if it was a game that, like, teetered on the edge of blowing, being a blowout without ever actually being a blowout. I mean, Alabama was just so methodical in the way they marched down for those first three touchdowns that it just, you know, there wasn't this like death blow. There wasn't uh, 2012 where like the first time Notre Dame tried to run the ball, you're like, holy crap, like this yep. is like, this is not even like a game. Um, it was just so methodical that, you know, I immediately think back to Notre Dame's first drive where, Ebook throws the ball behind the line of scrimmage to Kyron Williams when he's in trouble and then misfires on another pass. And I'm like, shoot, there's your chance. Like, I, I, I hate to think of those terms, but we came into this game saying Notre Dame had to be perfect to even have a chance to win this game. And their touchdown drive, their first half touchdown drive, was pretty close to perfect, yes. at least the perfect blend of Notre Dame football that we've come to know and understand in 2020. They needed to do that every single time they had the football tonight which I don't think is really possible. And even then, uh, when you're playing behind, you can't run the ball that much, which they actually did an okay job of. In fact, a better than okay job of all things considered. Um, but it, it's, you know, more of the same, to be honest. I mean, I wouldn't say they choked. I wouldn't say they got caught up in the hype or anything, but, like, they're, they're just not good enough. And, you know, we're, we'll, we'll get to Brian Kelly's comments here in a bit, but, like, we, we'll probably be having the same conversation after the season ends next year, whether it's in the playoff or in year six or somewhere worse than that. Like, I don't know – you know, how many times you got to go through this exercise? Yeah, it's, I mean, you look at, you know, total yards is sort of a, a loser statistic, but, you know, difference was 62 yards, I believe, or seven, I'm sorry, 70, 67 yards or 62 yards. I mean, it, not a lot, but Notre Dame needed 80 plays to get there and Alabama needed 55. Um, they got almost doubled up in yards per play. And when the game was in doubt, Alabama was averaging double digit yards per play. Um, I mean, they, when they were dialed in in the first half, it felt like they could get a 12-yard gain whenever they wanted. Um, you know, and there's it's hard to get more symbolic of the sort of talent disparity than Najee Harris hurdling Nick McLeod and running for 52 yards. Um, that's just sort of where Notre Dame is. They don't they don't have dudes like Alabama does, and I don't I don't quite get Brian Kelly pushing back so forcefully and. Mm-hmm. really, I, I don't know, his post-game press conferences, like I'd rather have the authentic version of Brian Kelly than something sort of politicized and polished up. But 
I was surprised that how quickly that that went off the rails, um, opposed to maybe being somewhat reflective and say, all right, you know, we got to get players like them. Like we have to redouble our recruiting efforts. I, I, and the question that I asked, which was not taken as intended at all, was you've come a lot closer than where you were. What's the first next step? Like when you look at this season be like, all right, this is where I want to evolve next. This is where I want to progress next. And instead it was a, a spirited, somewhat sarcastic defense of, where they have already been. And we we know where they've already been. Right. I mean, they're, they've gotten a lot better. I mean, they've won, you know, they're 43 and eight over the last four years. Like that's really good. Um, I'm more interested now. It's like, is there something more than really good out there for Notre Dame? And I don't want to put too much weight on Brian Kelly's post game commentary. We've both been in post game press conferences after he loses and it can get a little hot and it can get a little testy. And I, I think as he cools down, he'll sort of view things differently. But you you got to have a, a next act here. Like there's got to be Brian Kelly, whether you want to say it's 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever, because, you know, there was the rebuilding stage in the mm-hmm. very beginning. Got that figured out. Took a dip with a bad staff hire, Brian Van Gorder, and then sort of reinvented himself over the last four years. Like there has to be something different moving forward. It cannot just be more of the same because if you just view things as static, as if you don't need to make a, a big change, then I then I think you're just sort of viewing you're gonna be seeing this game again and again. And look, they while next year's schedule lightens up quite a bit, they have Ohio State and Clemson in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. So there's there's time to sort of reconfigure some things if you're here for Notre Dame. But First, you have to figure out what you need to reconfigure and if you believe you need to reconfigure something. And as of 8.49 Central Time um, on January 1, I'm not sure that there's an answer to that. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's, I thought of 2016 as well, not that this is by any means comparable, but I look at that as an example of a coach who's been around this game in a very long time who – looked himself in the mirror, probably with some prodding, and completely reevaluated and retooled the way he went about his business and ran his program. And we've seen the results since then. It's a brand new program. It's one of the best programs in the country. We get that. We, we talked about this a little bit pregame. I mean, on game day, he, he was a little salty. You know, he couldn't get out of there fast enough. He's tired of the narrative questions. I, Look, yeah, I on college game day, you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, 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 college game, sorry. Um, Look, I get you're tired of the narrative questions, but like, there's a way to flip that, and that's to win these freaking games or play better in these games. And I don't even think they played that bad tonight. Uh, I mean, they covered the spread for whatever that's worth, but I mean, there's there's got to be something more there. I'm with you. There, there's he, he spoke this morning in in post game like a guy who knew how today was going to go. It went how he thought it would go, and he just wants to get the hell out of there and, and wipe his hands clean of it and, and move on to next year. And the questions we all have is, how do you move on to next year? Like, yeah. what is that next step? I mean, last year he volunteered, albeit before the bowl game, but this time last year he volunteered that recruiting kind of benchmark that he thinks Notre Dame can get to. And again, 2020 being what it was, you know, plans kind of got wrecked all over the place. I'm not going to hold that against Notre Dame, but... Um, I thought they did I, a nice I, I think, job. Like, I, I thought if you if you factored in the pandemic impact, which was significant, I thought th- I thought recruiting was better this year. No, they were good. I mean, I, I'm not saying they were bad. I, I'm not. I just, I think 
they have a goal in mind that once the world is back to normal, they want to get to, and they're going to have to change the way they do their business a little bit to get to that goal. Yeah. Um, but today it just like, I think that, you know, you were going for that, whether it was 2016 or recruiting, whatever, like you asked a very good question. He was already hot from the first yeah, question. It was, it was, of, a, it was a, a, the question was not going to get a good answer because he was not in the frame of mind to answer. But it. he just got worse and worse. But I still I mean, had to ask it. I mean, you know, th- this is a person like, oh, th- thanks for the congratulations. You know, our local guys demand we do better. No shit, Brian. <laughs> like, you're at Notre Dame. Like, first off, the media is not hard on you. Like, you're in a very small market. You're not at a public school. You're not at a state school. There are not a lot of reporters covering you. And, again, I don't take it personal, but, like, and I don't think – I think he kind of just – you know, it's one of those guys who, after 11 years there, is comfortable saying whatever he wants and doesn't really care what what the consequence may be for that, right. although he's going to regret some of the things he said later today, um, which we'll get to as well. But he, like, it's, your, your mantra is graduating champions. It's becoming a punchline. It sounds like Butch Jones. Like, they're champions yeah. of life. Like, you got to, like, actually pretend to live up to that. You can't go up there as a high football coach at Notre Dame and say, uh, my problems with Clemson or in, in Alabama are the same as everyone else's. Well, are you supposed to be everyone else? Are you supposed to be graduating champions and supposed to be resurrecting uh, the greatest college football program in, in the sports history to its rightful place atop the sport? And again, no one's saying it's easy. It's not supposed to be easy. That's why they go to Notre Dame, so we're told. But like to just sit there and be like, well, everyone else got this problem. I'm just got or we're going to be back there next year, and you know, I can't wait till we win because I'll be insufferable to be around. But how are you going to win, Brian? Like. Yeah. It's great to get to the playoff every year. It is. Like most programs don't do that and you don't get there without knowing what you're doing. But this can't be it. Um into again, the emotions of the moment, post game, you know, it is what it is, but you got to have a better answer for the public at some point this off season beyond just, well, you know, what do you want us to do? Don't, don't jump off a bridge ND Nation, which He's going to get killed for that one, and I can't say he didn't walk right into that. Um, you know, he, he just – he talked like a guy who just couldn't get out of there fast enough and didn't care what he said, and it just blew up in his face. I think it's, I'm not going to pat him on the back for playing hard and losing by 17 points, but, you know, they didn't choke on the stage. They didn't play a horrible game. I mean, they – they were they were, yeah, they, were I mean, they were okay. Like, all right, so <laughs> we've uh, we've probably spent more time on the big picture than Brian Kelly would like us to. But uh, I do want to talk about the game itself because we were texting a little bit back and forth during the game. I I wanted there to be a moment in the game where Notre Dame pushed its chips to the middle of the table, where they went for it, where they were bold, where they were daring, and even if it blew up in their face. I don't. Was there that moment? Like, I never, I, I never it, felt the interception. That. Maybe like where they tried a deep ball. Like, I, I don't know if that's it, but that's the only thing I could think of. It just, it was too late at that point. Um, and I think that was probably watching that because what I, what I would really hope to see tonight was a ten point game in the fourth quarter with Notre Dame with the ball. I wanted to see Notre Dame feel like it could have won the game with like two or three breaks at the very end. And the game was decided long before that could happen um, that Notre Dame never got to that point, never got to that moment. Um, and I just, I don't know where the sort of the ballsy move would have been. Would it have been going it forward on fourth and five around midfield uh, on that? I think it was their Notre Dame's second drive. Maybe that's it. 
Would it have been doing an onside kick to open the second half? Maybe that would have been it. But, you know, even there was a rollout that Ian Book had in the second half. I think it was it was in the third quarter. Rolled to his right. No pressure for a couple seconds. Braden Lindsay is streaking down the field deep. He's not open-open, but he's got to step on his guy. Like, cork that loose. Um, and I just... It felt like the game plan was engineered as if Notre Dame was up 10 to start the game and they were holding on for dear life, whereas, in fact, they were down 21 nothing. Um, and it would have been a great game plan with a lead, but I did not feel like it was a game plan that gave Notre Dame really any chance to win the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the box score, as you mentioned earlier, they held the ball for nearly eight more minutes than Alabama. They ran for... 139 yards, which isn't anything amazing, but it's one less than Alabama did, and it's more than 100 more than they did the last time they did about Alabama, the last time they played Alabama. And you know, Brian Kelly said, like, physicality, we're not overmatched anymore. We were the last time against Alabama. We were 2018 against Clemson. We weren't that. And, look, I agree. I, I don't know if it's as simple as we need two really good receivers and we'll be right there. Um because they really didn't have a downfield passing threat outside of maybe Javon McKinley for most of the year. We knew that was going to be a problem after watching this team play two games this year. Uh, in some ways, it's a miracle they got as far as they did with that limited uh, attack because people are going to blame Ian Book because he's a quarterback, and I get it. And I don't want to take away from Mac Jones, but if you put Ian Book in Mac Jones' shoes right now, I think he's doing the exact same thing. I totally with all agree. all those guys around him. I totally agree um, with you on that. So... I don't think it's Ian's book problem. I, I mean, he, he was all right. Um, they ran the ball all right, but he only got sacked, I think, once. Um, and ended up being, once or twice, but the first one, I think, ended up being the one that knocked him out for a play or two. Right. Um, I just don't know where that bold move would have came. Like, I, I think there's a fine line between bold and desperation, and I think the onside yeah. kick at the start of the second half, when all of us are talking about it, kind of reeks of desperation. Um, yeah, but it's like, isn't that... Like, Ole Miss was 4 of 4 on fourth down when they really took Alabama to the limit back in early season. I, I thought it was going to take that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, going for fourth down, but, more, yeah. But again, I, like, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I'm not sure if that moment really clearly presented itself where ballsy would have actually been reckless. Um, I think they, they, they never got close enough where pushing the envelope would have been smart. But I was just disappointed that they never got to that point where there was a question. They could ask a question of Alabama and be like, we're freaking going for it here. Like, we know we know we have to, like, break character here and, and sort of do something outside of our comfort zone. That that just never really happened. There's just this collective kind of, I don't know if resignation is the right word. And, and like, in the, mo- in the heat of the moment, as the game's going on, like, we're talking to each other. We're seeing what the Twitter sphere is saying. We're hearing maybe from a few friends and family members who are invested in the game. There's I, not... I, I definitely wasn't because there was a power outage in South Bend, so my family couldn't even watch it. Right, well, don't tell it. Well, hopefully they don't listen. They won't know what happened in the game, and they can watch it later. Um, but, like, a fitting exchange, I thought. You know, first quarter is Alabama's marching down. You see Joe Schmidt tweet, LOL, are you kidding me? Chris Alvey tweets back at him, I'm not holding back. Weak team we have here. They didn't want to play this game. Joe Schmidt replies, I don't get it. It's not like we haven't played these games before. Really expected more, and now it has to be a pride thing. And, you know, they cleaned it up as the game went on and as Kyron ran for a touchdown. And Joe Schmidt, I think, spoke for everyone when he said, like, I'll take all Kyron's on my team because that guy yeah. plays with some shit to him, which you 
it's hard to judge whether someone has it or not, but you know when they do have it, and you can see it when he's on the sideline, when he's running the ball, when he's talking to us. Like That's a guy who plays with a chip on his shoulder, and you need more guys like that to have a chance in big games like this. But I, I use that example, Joe Schmidt and Chris Salvi saying, like, those are walk, you know. I mean, like those are guys who walked on to Notre Dame football, earned scholarships, and became players for them. And like their investment, like they're the ultimate truth tellers as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Notre Dame football. Like they can call it like they see it. They're not afraid to piss anyone off. Like if they're talking about body language and soft teams and this and that, like that to me is like that to me says is telling me more than I think anyone could tell me at a press conference or me or you could say to each other in some ways. And I realize that's the heat of the moment, but, um, and I don't know if I'm not saying I personally agree with that or saw that to be the case in today's game, but it feels like we have some version of this conversation every time they're on a stage like this. Yeah. I think that was one of my other disappointments from a, like I wanted to see something different was, the I, I understand why Brian Kelly is sick of the narrative questions, and if I was him, I probably would be too. And like putting aside the fact that it's on him to change them, uh, tonight was an opportunity for Notre Dame to sort of push back against it a little bit, even in defeat. But the benefit, the the burden of proof on that is on Notre Dame. It's not yes. on it's not on everyone watching. So I thought that was sort of lost a little bit that. If you want to change the narrative, that's on you. And, like, this game sort of, I don't know if it reinforced anything, but it didn't change anything either. Right. You know, and that was, this was an opportunity to change things. You you don't, you just don't get these opportunities very often. It may be, it's probably going to be two years until Notre Dame gets an opportunity like this again. You know, whether that's the Ohio State game or the Clemson game in Cincinnati next year. Oh yeah, Cincinnati next year. I think they I think they open with Ohio State in 2022 if I'm not mistaken. Um but it's just this was a chance to sort of get people to think about Notre Dame in a new way and as much as I think Notre Dame has done enough over the last 4 years to earn a little bit more benefit of the doubt. They didn't they just didn't get over the line in that way today, um, and that that's gotta feel it's gotta feel like a missed opportunity for Notre Dame. Not necessarily to win the game, but just to come out and play fearless, free football. They they don't seem to have that right now. I mean, we just broke down the box score in Notre Dame's favor, saying, "Oh, hey, like if you told us this beforehand, it would have been all right." Here, here's the not so pretty part from the top five from the three of the top five Heisman vote getters for Alabama. I wonder Mac who Jones, Brian, do, do you know who Brian Kelly would, would give the Heisman to, by the way? Uh, were you listening? <laughs> um, Mac Jones, 25 of 30, 297 yards, four touchdowns. Najee Harris, 15 carries, 125 yards, four more catches, 30 yards. Devontae Smith, seven catches, 130 yards, three touchdowns. Um, I, I think back to Clemson in 2017 when they lost to Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. I think it was, yeah, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, game was 24 to six. Kelly Bryant was their quarterback. They never really Alabama made a couple big defensive plays, and you just knew Clemson was never going to catch up to them. Um, and a year later, they play each other again, and Clemson runs them out of the building in the playoff. And I remember talking to Manny Diaz, Miami's coach at the time, for a separate story about you know building a championship program as he was taking over in Miami. And he's like, you can't just 
recruit really, really well, you need one of those like transformational talents at a certain position to then get you over the top. Mm-hmm. And he pointed to that as a difference. He goes, Clemson had the exact same team that got waxed by Alabama, except they added Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross, two five stars at quarterback yep. and receiver. And so I, seeing, seeing how Notre Dame matched up physically, as Brian Kelly said, and he is right about that, I, I, <clears throat> is it that simple? Like, is Tyler Buckner the answer, and that's going to fix all your problems? I, I'm not ready to go there. Not after 11 years of evidence that says Notre Dame can't develop a highly recruited quarterback, which right. they haven't. Um, so I don't know. I mean, they also Brian seems to be, you know, again, he got asked a bunch of different versions of this question. He kept kind of beating around it and gave different answers each time. But he said something to the effect of, you know, on any given day, yeah, you know, you could win these games. That's what we got to do. And that's not true when you're trying to win a national championship. Maybe in the BCS era it is. But in the playoff era, I mean, I this year's a perfect example. To me, that's true in the regular season. Yes, but to win a championship, I mean, you just played Clemson twice in Alabama. That's what a a conference champion that then wins a national title goes mm-hmm. through. Like three absolute heavyweight matchups. And you mentioned 2022. Clemson and Ohio State are on the schedule. Let's say Notre Dame beats them both, runs the table. Probably got to beat those two or some version of those two again. So that's four incredibly tough wins to win a national championship, which is the goal here. And so to say anyone on any given day can do it, you know, I, mean, look, I think if, that this is the point. If that was true, Clemson and Alabama wouldn't be playing for the national title every other year. That too, yeah. Well, you know? they probably won't. Yeah. Ohio State's having a field day right yeah, now. No pun intended. Yeah, Ohio State is up 35-14 <laughs> at the half. But I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The, the any given day is just like, I, I agree with Brian Kelly in the sense that, that that is Notre Dame's peak, is to sort of be good enough to sometimes beat these teams. No, Notre Dame's goal is not to be Alabama. It's not to be Clemson. Because if it was, there would be a different opinion around the administration about the football program and extending Brian Kelly. Because he hasn't won these games, Notre Dame's goal, and I, I, and I am in complete agreement with them on this, is to sort of be a, a better Georgia, a better Oklahoma, a better version of itself, like to get into the playoff and win a game. And right now, they're just not—they're not built to do that. They haven't recruited well enough to do that. Um, I. I think that this was a real. I think you and I are in agreement. Like, I think this is, they had a really good coaching staff this year. I think that, you know, Kelly, Reese, Lee, 
I think did a very good job. Um, but in terms of the talent on the team, I mean, you, we saw it. Like Notre Dame doesn't have game breakers on the outside, nor does Notre Dame have Patrick Sertain Jr. on the outside just to stop a game breaker from happening to them. They have Kyle Hamilton, but other than that, it's it's just it's just sort of guys. Um, they had two elite defenders and and some really good guys. Um, I just. I don't know. I, I just sort of view Notre Dame like if they could win a playoff game every five years, I think that would be really good. Um, I don't think that they are built to win a national title in this era, um, as as a, a, at least as expectations are currently constructed around Notre Dame. I know it's it's popular on stages like these, whenever they lose or something to say like, Oh, they got out coach. They choke, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I tried to take the emotions I mean, of the moment you feel it like, out of it. Like the no. Out, no, I didn't feel that way at all. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm, okay. To take, to take a step back, to look at the season it, in some ways to me, it, it validates what a great coaching job they did because we saw the shortcomings on this roster yes, displayed I for totally all to see. And it's like, wait, that group got undefeated. And I, I don't mean that insultingly, but like, I think, you know, that's the takeaway as far as like, Clark Lee had two first-round draft picks to work with and a whole lot of guys that no one outside of South Bend knows their name, uh, if yep. we're being honest here. And they made it to the college football playoff. Um, even the, the offensive line, as good as they are, there's no Mike McGlinchey or Quinn and Nelson on that roster who's going to be back-to-back top 10 picks. Uh, I'm sure a lot of those guys will have lengthy NFL careers, but they're not – can't miss prospects the way um, those two guys were from day one at Notre Dame. Um, Ian Book, three-star quarterback who had one hour, one other, excuse me, power five offer to his name. Uh, so like, I, the on-field coaching is, I'd put him up there with anyone in the country. I really would. It's, you don't beat Alabama by playing better than them when you play them once a year or once however many years. You beat them the other 364 days a year when you're right. out there recruiting players that can give you a chance to beat them. Um, and I don't know how many times we got to say it here, but Notre Dame just hasn't done that. And, you know, you said the administration wants a program in a place uh, where they can win a playoff game or, or make the playoff. I, I would disagree well, with the Georgia, Oklahoma. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying they make the playoff already. Right. So I but think I, win. Like you have to win a game at some point in the playoff. You said the Georgia and Oklahoma analogy, and I don't know if they – like Georgia wants to be Alabama, you know. What I mean, like they've hired all of oh, Alabama's coaches. Okay. They've recruited. What I'm saying is, like Alabama, or I'm sorry, Notre Dame would be happy with being Georgia right now. I think Georgia would be happy with being Notre Dame right now. <laughs> that may be true. I don't know. I mean, I, I was bummed that you know Georgia won today only because we couldn't get that Matt Fortuna Georgia rant segment. But they, they weren't motivated <laughs> to beat a Cincinnati team. It just that's in their is like third major I, bowl game. I just I there there is a ceiling on Notre Dame, and it's not. It's below where Alabama and Clemson are right now, where they're not going to win forty-eight games over a four-year span. There, but I do think the ceiling on Notre Dame is higher than forty and eight over four years. I think that there's a there's a a dial to be turned up a little bit on Notre Dame, and that involves recruiting. I think it involves investment in facilities. Um, you know, now that they're replacing the defensive coordinator, it involves like making the right staff hires. I think it involves a shrewd assessment. If you're Brian Kelly, are you a great recruiter? If you're not, 
my staff has only room for great recruiters. Um, I think I think that's something that he's going to have to take a hard look at. So we'll see. And you know, and and so much of that is Brian Kelly himself saying like, I want to be a great recruiter. I know this is I'm going to be working my ass off, and I know that I might not enjoy that that element of college football, but. College football 2020, 2021, your head coach is the head coach of culture, Brian Kelly check, head culture or head you know, head coach of personnel, check, and then head coach of recruiting. I think that's the, the the box that Brian Kelly has yet to check. And if he does, and he says that he wants to and says that he will, then I think, you know, we're gonna be covering a different kind of Notre Dame game in the playoff two, three years from now. I think in the same vein as what you're saying, I I've felt this a while and today kind of confirms it for me no one there will ever say it and i think brian kelly actually kind of went to the doorstep of almost saying it today i think this administration uh has this football program exactly where they want to be like they are they are good program good players good staff just good enough to make the playoff every now and then and fool you into thinking if the breaks go their way, they'll win it all and restore their glory, but not getting their hands dirty and making the tough investments and decisions and sacrifices you need to make to actually win a championship. Um, I think they're very content with going up there right now, maybe not in the heat of the moment, but I think the other 364 days of the year, um, good job, guys. You all got A's. You made the playoff. You made us proud. You stayed COVID-free for the most part. Um, let's run it back next year. Like I, 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 that's more of an educated guess than anything else, but that's my like hot take on it. Like I just, I, I think it, the administration is probably perfectly comfortable with where they are now. Yeah, which you're, I don't you're, think comfortable is a good thing, but I yeah, mean, you're, rather... what you're asking is Notre Dame, does Notre Dame have the appetite to turn the notch a few more clicks? You're feeling right. no. I think they need to be pushed and prodded. Like I, I, I think they're comfortable, which but who's going to you know, push and prod him at this point? Right. I mean, Brian Kelly, which I, does not, he want to do that? It's not going to be us. Like, we we already, we sat in on that press conference. Like, does Brian Kelly want to do that going into his 12th year at a place? Mm-hmm. Like, someone we work with, or not at the Athletic, but someone we're uh, texting with texted me after the game and was like, I think Brian Kelly just says, like, do you think Brian Kelly, who has to know that he's not a Nick Saban-level recruiter, like, he can't not know that at this point. Right. Do you think he just says, like, oh, Next time Texas is open, next time the NFL is open, like I- I've done all I can do here. I'm never going to be the guy sleeping at a kicker's, uh, you know, attic or whatever, doing whatever I need to do to to get that extra recruit. Like I've restored this place. They have a lot to take me for. Maybe the new guy can come in and do it. Like I, I don't, I'm not personally saying that's going to happen or think that will happen, but I do think there is a level. And again, his comments today, even in the heat of the moment, did nothing to dissuade me from this. I think there's a level of, hey, we got this. We know what we're doing. Look at our record the last few years. One of these days, we'll we'll, we'll get them. And I just don't think that's good enough. I, yeah. I hate the one of these days we'll get them. Because that is just like, one of these days, I'm going to flip this quarter and it's going to come up heads. Yeah. Like, Cubs Cubs made a pretty yeah. big brand out of that for 108 years. You got to <laughs> you gotta work your butt off to have that quarter but come up th- heads. That was him today, right? I mean, am right. I... No, he, I, how many times did he say like we're well, gonna do it one year and you guys like, I'm gonna be in some you know like okay right. tell me how like that's what we we're all asking yeah that's <laughs> like that that was what I thought was completely lost today was like we're not saying 
that you can't do it. We just want to know how you're going to get there. And once you start go, once you went down that path with him today, and again, it's post game. He's hot. I get it. Like this is a, it was a much better question for June in his office than it was January one in a zoom press conference. But this is, this is, it's, January one, we're in a Zoom press conference. Well, and, and the, he just the Alabama saw, game just happened. But like that, he's wearing what just happened exactly. Yeah. Like I'm not saying you're. All right, we gotta do this, this, and this. But like, you know what? Like, shoot, like we could not keep up. Or you know, what I mean, like Devontae mm-hmm. Smith is just a different breed. Like we need yeah. more speed, or you know, we were never gonna whatever it is. You know, right? Look at the look. Devontae Smith is playing special teams. Look who we got playing. That know? oh yeah, see that that bothered me a little bit because you know. Notre Dame has uh, Chris Salerno, God bless him, out there returning punts. Matt Salerno. Uh, Matt Salerno, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and, like, Notre Dame can't find a threat out there. I realize Chris Tyree returns kickoffs. Um, that's That would be a little frustrating to me. And, you know, that it the reason that it, it stuck with me is because Brian Kelly talked about this after the 2012 game about mm-hmm. like, oh my God, Alabama has starters on special teams. Well, why why don't you have starters on special teams? Um, you know that's that's an option for you with this improved depth. So I, it he could have gone through that press conference and said like exactly what you said, Matt. Like, holy crap, Devonte Smith is great, which is true, and then said. We got to go out and find guys like that. I I love what my guys are giving me. They're giving me everything that they can, but you know we gotta we gotta go out and like push the envelope and recruiting to, to go bigger and better. That would have been okay, and it wouldn't have been like sort of talking down on the on your current players because like look, it's like Ian Book, awesome career, thirty and five as a starter, all time winningest quarterback at Notre Dame, played through fractured ribs. Three ten win seasons pulled a bull win out of his butt at LSU, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, whatever that was, the Citrus Bowl from three year, three four years ago, like three. Yeah, the dude balled out and gave Notre Dame every freaking thing that he had. Like that was awesome. But who's going to be in the playoff? It's either Mac Jones with like a bunch of Heisman Trophy winner or contenders around him, or it's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields who are. 1-2 or 2-1 in the NFL draft next year. So I think Notre Dame is going to have a much easier time finding the next Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields than it will have recruiting an entire roster that looks like Alabama's. It's funny you bring that up because on game day, um, when they weren't showing your beautiful mug and uh, recycling a feature from November. It was a good um, feature. <laughs> that caught me. Were we texting about that right when you – or? I think no. we're in a group text or something yeah, right so before. I, I woke up, popped on game day, and the fifth word, literally the fifth word I heard was narrative. And I was like, oh, I wonder what this story is about. Um, and sure enough, it was about Notre Dame winning big games. And then so I tweeted a snarky thing about that. And then one minute later, oh, I'm on game day with uh, you, with the Jeremiah Wusukor. You finally changed your profile picture. I'll be yeah. two months later. <laughs> new year, new me. Um, they showed on game day, though, a graphic of the winning percentage, career winning percentage of all the quarterbacks in the playoff. <laughs> Ian Book was fourth. Like, I don't say that, like, he had the most wins of all of them, but I think, I mean, Trevor Lawrence might have more, I have to look back, but, but Ian Book was last, a winning percentage. And, like, through no fault of zone, again, like, every good thing yeah, you like just said 30, about him, like, he was 30 and three just like three weeks ago. He's awesome. 
But like, I think that also shows like we're pumping him up as like, all right, winniest quarterback nerd in history. Brian Kelly's never described him as anything other than a winner, which I'm fine with. I don't think he needs to pick him apart nope. publicly. I think that's um, great. I, I, and I think he has handled everything A++, especially this year. Even today, he was the, the best quote on the team tonight. Um, but we did all that rant just now, just hyping him up. And we're like, all right, he's fourth in winning percentage behind the other three guys who – might win a national title this year. You know, like, there's still, like... there, Like, to me, there has to be an acceptance from the Notre Dame fan base and probably some of our listeners and that only one team wins the national championship. And I realize that sounds kind of obvious, but Clemson's probably going to lose tonight, and then Ohio State's probably going to lose in the national championship game because Alabama's probably going to win it. But if Ohio State wins it, you, this will be the most insufferable offseason in college oh, football history. Yeah, and so or, or Alabama's going to lose it, and that that doesn't mean you had a crap season. Like Notre Dame had a very good season. Does does not need any more qualifiers than that. But I think that you're you're really missing the point if you're not trying to, as a reporter, if you're not trying to figure out, okay, what's the next step? Like, can you get closer to that? And if and if the answer is no, then the answer is no. Um, but talking to people who have worked at Notre Dame over the years the that are not there now, they believe that the answer is actually yes. May, may have been on our podcast recently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, among others. The There's this, there's this angst almost. You definitely felt it in the 2018 Clemson game. You felt it today, obviously, with uh, the points where it being, being what it was. But, like, most Notre Dame fans, at least the ones I talk to, are like, I just hope we don't get blown out. Right. And you hope like hell that doesn't translate to the actual program. And I'm not saying it does, but, you know, at least, you know, in game, it's like, all right, you're going into halftime down 14. It's like there's kind of the sense of like, we'll take it. Um, They score at the end in garbage time. And then they don't go for two, which I know I'm like picking at a scab here, but like why? Like you on site kicked it and you recovered it. Like I'm not a math major, but three eight point scores. Or eight times three is twenty-four. You're down twenty-four. Why would you like? I, I just there's just always this like, what are we really supposed to be doing here? Kind of like thing that happens uh, at some point of all these games. Um, like, I, why I was texting with a coach. What happens? Like, well, why they just onside kick with all their starters out there? Like, you just said the game's over by kicking an extra point. Like, you're not going to score three possessions in a minute. Not that you're going to score two, but again. Like, it's the last minute of your season. Why not leave it all out there? Um, but I don't know. There's just this general acceptance of, like, all right, well, they covered. They uh, they lost by only 17. And I just I, – I have a hard time adding everything up here as far as what Notre Dame football ultimately takes away from a stage like this. Because it, not that Brian Kelly's postgame comments speak for the way the next year will unfold and the way this program will operate, but – like, I want to know, like, what they're going to do about this moving forward and what they actually learned from tonight and if there's a tangible thing they can take away from tonight beyond just, well, hopefully we get them next year and hopefully, you know, our next quarterback's better and we'll have better receivers and Devontae Smith will be graduated and maybe the ball will roll our way. Like, I just don't know. It was just weird. The, the, the not going for two really didn't sit well with me. And, I, again, maybe I'm just harping on something that – you know, I'm making up in my own head, but like that felt like 
giving up, even though the game was over. Um, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think at that point, the game the game was over. Um, you know, it, it was it was cosmetic for Notre Dame. Alabama had called off the dogs at that point. It's it's much more about, to me at least, going into halftime and not feeling like you're holding on for dear life. Like it didn't. It felt like it was thirty-five-seven at half, even though it was twenty-one-seven. Mm-hmm. That that was the the tone of the game that I was watching from the press box. Um, I don't know if that everyone shares that opinion. It's just my subjective take on it, but. And this sort of goes back to the the largest point spread in college football playoff history. And I believe ESPN.com noted that it was the lar- the third largest point spread in bowl history going back to really? maybe, maybe wow. like 1978, which I was like, what? Are you kidding me? But what was that LSU game? Uh, you know, not 19 and The a Russell half. one, yeah. Um, right. That was, you know, if you're Notre Dame, you got to get to a point where people believe again that you're good enough to win these kinds of games. Um, they're not there. And you know, it's kind of repeat something I said earlier in this podcast. Like, I don't know if tonight confirmed anything about where Notre Dame stands against the national elite, but it, it certainly didn't rebut anything about it where Notre Dame stands against the national elite either. And that's, you know, that Again, it's just sort of a disappointing factor for Notre Dame because you don't get these opportunities very often. Uh, I realize Brian Kelly pushes back against the notion that these are measuring stick kind of games, but that's, that's exactly what they are. We, we, The reason we wanted to see Alabama against Notre Dame in the playoff is so we could see how close or far Notre Dame was. And I don't know how much like interpretive reading you needed to do in the box score to, to think about that. They're, they're still a long way away, even though they have passed 125 other teams or 120 other teams in the last four years. The distance between Notre Dame and Alabama feels as far now as it did. Yeah, maybe not. maybe they're a little. I wouldn't say away. as far. Yeah, but... it's like I want to back off that. But it still, it still feels far. I think the way that I've described it is Notre Dame has climbed a mountain only to figure out that Alabama and Clemson have has elevated the peak. And that that's just a tough thing to swallow for Notre Dame, but I think that's sort of the reality, and you got to figure out how you're going to react to that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yep, I mean, I, I, yeah, they're, they're closer than they were in 2012. But I also think, like, that's such a, like, small silver lining. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we're closer than we were eight years ago. And eight years from now, maybe we'll be closer again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't... I totally agree. I heard it's, it's like baby steps, and that's a tough one to swallow. That I think there are two separate conversations to be had here as well. I think there's kind of the national conversation of, oh, why is there a name of the playoff? A&M should have been in Cincinnati, should have been, blah, blah, blah. It, it, that reminds me of the Jim Trestle Ohio State days when Ohio State was the only team worth the damn of the Big Ten, just like they are now, and kept getting to the big stage and losing, and everyone kept mocking them for losing these big games. It's like... Like, what are you guys doing to help us? Like, we're the only team that actually 
playing football up north and we're getting to these games. Like, who are you to laugh at us? And I feel the same way when I see fans and, and coaches and people from other teams saying that about Notre Dame. But I do think as you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, if you're a member of Notre Dame football program, like these are they're serious, tangible questions um, and cha- questions to ask and challenges to, 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 to go after as far as how do you close that gap? Because the narrative's there for a reason. Like you said, like this isn't like a snarky sports writer on Twitter saying, hey, look at Notre Dame's record on New Year's Day. Like, no, like this is what Notre Dame has done. And right. Which like, I, look, I don't I don't give a crap about Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl in 2005 or Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl in 2006. Like, I barely care about Notre Dame in the, against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl in 2015. I keep like, forgetting that game happened until yeah, like, I got that's, that's like, it's, it's not even the freaking point. Uh, it what I want to see is like what happens next. Um, like I, I think the the narrative drumbeat is overdone over twenty seven years, which was how far you have to go back for Notre Dame mm-hmm. to win sort of a major bowl game against A and M after the ninety three regular season. But there's got to be an acknowledgement that like Clemson twenty eighteen, Alabama twenty twenty happened and you got to play off that somehow. Um, I think as we watch enough college football, you got to have a pyrotechnic high scoring offense to compete. And Notre Dame is, has built itself around beating you up in a phone booth. Can you win that way? I, I do not know. You know, it, I, I don't personally think like it matters. Like it doesn't affect us. What happened in Oh five or Oh two or whatever, but I, I get why it's, I mean, you know, Brian Kelly used the, the phrase, you know, ashes of tradition to, to rag on the Rose Bowl. Like that phrase got thrown back in his face a lot because of Notre Dame. Like Notre yeah. Dame's a school of history, Heisman's legacy, Rockney, the Gipper. So with all that great history, when you haven't won on the big stage in that long, that's going to follow you everywhere you go. And do I think Kyron Williams and Lee Eichenberg give a damn about it? Probably not. But I do think collectively when the 100 plus person operation inside the Goog hears that every single day for however many years now, like it wears on them. And, you know, I think that could go one of two ways. It can, you can fall apart under that pressure or you can take a stand and do something about it. And they just haven't been good enough to do that since. Um, so, but like the, they haven't won a big game. Like it is what it is. Like they, again, I, I, I wouldn't even say they've choked because <clears throat> they usually are not the better team in these games. Right. But like th- that's going to be a narrative, you know, whether Brian Kelly wants to talk about it or not. And him pushing back against it all the time is only going to fuel it. And again, I don't know if that really changes the way he does his business, but you're then subjecting your players to that question every single time they step right. in front of a mic as well. Yeah. It's like tonight for Notre Dame, it needed to look at a minimum, and I just said I don't care about this game, but it, it needed to look at a minimum like the Ohio State game from 2005 where Ohio State was better, but Notre Dame was right there. Mm-hmm. And they had a chance in the fourth quarter where you felt like Notre Dame had a chance to win it. Um, best case, maybe not best case scenario, best case scenario is winning the game, but I thought that the ideal or more ideal situation would have been it looked like Georgia in 2017, Mm -hmm. Georgia in 2019, Florida State in 2014, Clemson in 2015, where you you have the ball with a chance to win the game at the end. Um, Notre Dame was never close to that tonight. Um, And again, it sort of goes back to the the regret of a missed opportunity. Um, 
because these games with these stakes do not come around very often. And it may be a while before Notre Dame gets back to this kind of moment. I mean, Alabama's first offensive drive, 15 yards, 14 yards, 8 yards, 5 yards, 11 yards, 26-yard touchdown. <laughs> I mean, second drive, 15, 9, 8, 53, 12. Like, that's all you need to see in some yeah. ways. And again, it wasn't 2012 where it was like they can't even, like, tackle these guys. But it was like, yep, this is exactly what it was advertised to be. Notre Dame better hang on to that ball for dear life and run, run, run. And they, they did a pretty good job, albeit too late, of that in the second quarter. Um, but, yeah, it, it again looked like – I don't want to say they don't belong because if you say they don't belong, someone else belongs there, and I don't think there's anyone that belongs there more than them. We saw what happened when Texas A&M played Alabama. Um, right. But they did not look like ever a threat to win this game, ever. Yeah, and I think that's – so you want to have a moment if you're a Notre Dame fan where you watch this and thought, all right, if they get a break here or if they recover an onside I, kick there. I, I love them going for – I love them running an offense at the end of the second quarter when I thought for sure they'd take a knee. Jonathan Doerr, God bless him. Don't know what's happened to him the last two games, but that kick did not look great at all. But, you know, if – we're really talking ourselves uh, – uh, trying to convince ourselves some here, but – Hit that kick, and then you get the ball back after forcing a punt. <clears throat> maybe then you're in business. You know, maybe people want to like stay through the end of the third quarter. But that was not the case. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It's um, I don't know. We should probably. So I guess as we transition into the off season a little bit, um, here on the Shamrock, like, is there? As you look at like what the next version of Notre Dame is going to look like because I do think this is a bit of a it's a personnel reboot it's a coaching staff reboot without Clark Lee friend of the pod on staff like the, what are the biggest things that Notre Dame needs to get accomplished because recruiting's already happened like that's over um you can't change what your incoming class looks like and I and I think their incoming class looks pretty good like I think they did a good job like the biggest question of the off season for you is what Right now, it's who's going to be defense coordinator just because that's the next thing. Right. Um, and as we've seen, those are hires that can make or break a program, particularly at Notre Dame. Uh, assuming they make a good hire, whoever that is, or assuming they don't make a BVG level <laughs> bad of a hire, whoever that would be. Uh, my question then is, I guess, how are you, how are you reinvesting in this program in the offseason? Um uh, We've spoken about you know, the Dave Poloquins, uh, the Aaron Carneys, you know, the guys in that – Bill Reese, the guys in that recruiting operation. Love them all. Think they all do a great job. I think Alabama's probably got 30 guys doing those same jobs right. that the three of them are doing you know, with minimal help. Uh, that doesn't mean you just throw money at a problem and it goes away. We've seen too many programs do that. But I think you know, Notre Dame can talk and we can talk about Notre Dame recruiting better. Um, they need to invest to recruit better. Uh, in personnel and have more people doing that. Um, which, again, we don't know when that's – when recruiting, as we used to know it, will come back because we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But that is, like, the probably the tangible question, that and the defense coordinator. Um, but, but taking a step back, I am curious. I think me and you ask these questions, Brian Kelly, because, at least for me, and I doubt I'm alone here, 
I've been wrong about him before. I thought twenty after 2016, like, that was a great run you had there for five or six years, but, like, can't teach an old dog new tricks. I know you retooled your staff, but, like, you did that because you had to. You had no choice. And sure enough, he gives up play calling, hires a new strength coach, fires some friends, and Notre Dame's arguably the third best program in the country since then. So I think that might be the frustrating or encouraging part, depending on your point of view here, is you know, for as long as he has done this and for as stubborn as he can be, he has shown the ability to change and evolve and build his program in a different way than how he initially started to do that. So I'm curious... Whereas before I would ask, does a guy this season have that in him to kind of start all over again? I'm not asking that question because I've seen him do it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to know what a guy who's gone 30-something years now without ever being fired as a college football coach, and I, I mean that's a compliment because even Nick Saban's gotten fired. Everyone's gotten fired. Brian Kelly's had a remarkable career at every level of football. What's next for him <clears throat> to retool Notre Dame football, which is by no means broken, is probably top five program in the country right now. Um, but as we've seen, the the gaps between three, four, and five are a hell of a lot smaller than three to two and two yeah. to one. Yeah, I think I'm most interested to see if Notre Dame sort of views the big picture and says we're more comfortable being number five or number six nationally perpetually, or we want to like take a chance and see if we can get to number one or number two every so often. Um, again, I'm not saying that Notre Dame's outlook should be that they should try to recreate what Alabama is now or what Clemson is right now or Ohio State is right now. I don't I don't think that's realistic. But I want to know if Notre Dame has the self-awareness to say, we got to be better than this if we're going to get to the mountaintop once. Not every year. Not, you know, playing the national championship, what, like five straight years, like Alabama or Clemson. I know Alabama missed the playoff last year, but we're sort of in this perpetual Alabama and Clemson mode here with the playoff. Like, I want to know if Notre Dame sort of views that as they can they can actually make it. And if they can make it, what that's going to take. Because, you know, Brian Kelly's post game was very much sort of bent around keep doing what we're doing and we'll get there. And I think it's probably a good thing to remind people that Brian Kelly also said that after many post games in 2016, that it he was much more keep doing what we're doing and we'll get there. And what happened that off season? He blew the whole damn thing up and started over. So with that in mind, I'm not sure I would read too, too much into what he said tonight uh, after the game, but I am fascinated to find out what he actually believes moving forward, because um, there's there's got to he's he's got to find a new level here, because the cur- I think we've maxed out the current level. Like mm-hmm. Brian Kelly in Notre Dame 3.0 has has hit its ceiling, and he's got to find a 4.0. And so I'm I'm fascinated to see if he feels like he can, if he feels like there's you know steps A, B, and C he can take to make make it there. But I. Right now, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. No, I, I think that's a fair point. You know, that's we're all wondering. Wouldn't read too much into what he said tonight, but he did say it, and he knows exactly what he's saying at all times. So that's what we have to dissect at our hands right here. Um, but you've got a 28-year-old offense coordinator who just finished his first year as a play caller, who will only get better. 
you have an opportunity to go make a great defense coordinator hire right now. I know we texted a little bit today about Marcus Freeman as Cincinnati looked like they were going to pull off the upset. I think you do everything you can to try to get that guy. I don't know if it's going to be enough, and that's not an indictment or day. Marcus Freeman has turned down overtures from a lot of people before and seems pretty set on becoming a head coach sooner rather than later and is very comfortable where he is right now. Uh, but but there are other guys out there. And, you know, Brian Kelly brought this up. I think you asked him the day before the Rose Bowl about um, defense coordinator hires. He said, right, look, I did. Like, there, there are a lot of other teams doing the same thing right now, so we can't just, you know, twiddle our thumbs here and take our time. We need to act eventually. Um, so, I mean, Michigan, Northwestern, Purdue, LSU, I'm sure there will be more. I'm sure I'm missing some. And I'm not saying they're all going after the same guys, but you know, they'll be going after some of the same guys. Uh, I wonder who that is. I, I No offense to Mike Elson, I, I don't know how you can make a promotion from within after uh, the way the season ended. Not blaming the defensive staff for that, but I just... Uh, I don't know. I just I think I disagree with you on that. I think that you could. Um but I think if you're Notre Dame, you have to be on the lookout for some of the teams you mentioned. Does Mike Elston get an offer to from Purdue? Purdue, Purdue to be the D.C.? Does Terry Joseph get an offer from LSU to come down there, uh, his home state? I think those are realistic scenarios. Um, so, if it, it, you know, Kyron Williams said after the game, the work starts tomorrow. That's true for, the, for Brian Kelly, too, because he's got to figure out, okay, what does my next staff look like? Because every day you wait, is, it gets a little bit more complicated. So I'm, I'm incredibly interested to see how that shakes out. Uh, I hate to relitigate the past, but when you just said that quote, I had flashbacks to what happened after the 2018 Cotton Bowl. I don't know if we want to rehash this here. Hmm. Wait, I don't, we have a long off season of podcasts, Matt, but like, I'll, I'll allow what, what did you have to say? I think you may have been the one who told me this. And the same guy who told you that told me it about how Kelly gave everyone time off mm-hmm. and one side of the ball said, essentially F that our goal is to go out there and find the next Justin Ross or we're not going to be here anymore. Yeah. You can guess which side of the ball that was. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, but the one who we kept beating, I don't know, maybe it was defense. You got to figure that out. Um, you know, it's, there's no off season anymore in college football, not with how the recruiting calendar goes, um, not with any of that. So it's not with how your coaching staff is constructed. And that gets back to something I said earlier in the podcast. It's like you got to find coaches who are elite coaches and elite recruiters. And as Brian Kelly retools the staff, because it would not shock me at all if there are multiple changes, um, you got to figure that out. I'm, I'm. That's a. That's another like most interesting thing about the off season. Absolutely. Uh, staff hiring, recruiting, um, seeing if any of your guys get poached. I'd even consider the the Terry Joseph possibility, like you said, but that, that's probably realistic. Um, yeah, we we have a lot, long off season. They have a long off season to to retinker. We have a long off season to talk because. Fortunately, this pandemic isn't going away anytime soon, which means we're not going to be going to spring practices like we normally would or following the recruiting trail like we normally would. And frankly, I don't know what what's next for these guys. They're going home with their families and then coming back. Yeah, they're on break. For break or um, yeah, it's like they, I don't know when the team reports back for sort of winter conditioning, but the fall sem- or the spring semester doesn't start till the first week of February. So that's right. That's right. They have plenty of time on that. I would assume that Notre Dame would sort of all right decompress recover, get yourself in a good spot mentally, and then come back and the offseason is going to be hard as hell starting February, whatever the first, I think, Tuesday in February is. 
not to uh, give us any PTSD triggers, but do you have Sunday night plans? Sunday night. What's what's on Sunday? Don Van Natta's backstory on the tale of tale oh. <laughs> on ESPN. No, I do want to find out if I believe that I still have it. When that story broke on Deadspin, I was at Panera with my daughter, who was two at the time. She's now ten. Mine turns two tomorrow, so yeah. you're really like teeing so us I, up I here. I was at Panera <laughs> with her because uh, my wife was at a law uh, professional development seminar, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening!" And I sprinted out of the Panera with her mac and cheese. And I stole the spoon from Panera, which I believe is still in my uh, silverware drawer at home, just to remind me of how messed up that whole situation is. But I am, I am fascinated to hear that. If, if there are really new insights from Anti in there, I'm, I'll be curious to see what that is. If he actually talks, which I assume he would, they wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, I'm fascinated mm-hmm. to see it as well. But uh, th- they announced that it was coming out right after Brian Kelly hung up Friday or Thursday morning. And I'm like, oh, didn't get a chance to ask him what he, yeah. what he thought of it. That's too bad. But. Uh, yeah, my, I found out the way uh, Brian Hamilton, I think. I don't know if we were on a group text or what, but Brian Hamilton works with us now, but was covering the Irish for the Tribune, texted saying, uh, remember, this was right after Brian Kelly just said he was coming back after like a week-long flirtation with the Eagles. And it's like, all right, finally this offseason yeah. begins. And Brian sent a text via Deadspin source or something saying like, uh, yeah, Deadspin's about to drop a story that's going to make our lives very Notre Dame really that's gonna make our lives very busy and like believe me the, the things that going were going through my mind as far as college scandals were not um was not catfishing but that turned out to be a whole new world we were all introduced to and we'll get reacquainted with Sunday night especially without a national championship game to sit yeah, back and prepare for I mean, this week it'll be interesting to to watch and sort of relive some of the uh not so great memories of that but uh I guess on on that note uh very uplifting Matt that we could end our our <laughs> Rose Bowl podcast on that on uh, on that note, but it's uh, look, it's going to be a fascinating offseason for Notre Dame. We'll be covering all of it, um, whether it is coaching staff coming and goings, uh, recruiting, how Brian Kelly may may or may not reinvent himself again. Um, look, it's it's going to be interesting. It always is around Notre Dame. That's why I love covering this program, is because there's never a dull moment, even when there should be. Um, so. It'll be a fun time. Matt, any last words on the 2020 Notre Dame football season? No. Thanks for sticking with us all year. Weird year. We did our best. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. Uh, Happy New Year. And we'll be back probably next week or whatever. Hoping to do once a week, right? Off season. so, The news will dictate that in the next couple of weeks with with hirings and whatnot. But um, we're not going anywhere. So stay with us. All right. Thanks for being with us. This is the latest episode of the Shamrock following the Rams lost to Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Thanks for listening. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. We all, we appreciate you being with us. Mm-hmm.